Today on the Zachary and Peaches show, Emma talks about her trip to last year's Ottawa International Animation Festival, including the films she watched during her time there. And the Owl House is gearing up for its series finale on Disney Channel this coming Saturday night. We'll recap what's happened during the show leading up to the final episode of one of Disney's most popular animated series. That's all coming up in today's edition of the Zachary and Peaches show, April 5th, 2023. Welcome everybody to the Zachary and Peaches show. I'm Adrian Mata. And I'm Emma Settles. And this is a special Wednesday edition of the program because, uh, well, I happen to have a little of a prior work commitment impacting our usual day of release so so that's why we're doing this on a wednesday well technically we're recording we usually record on monday but anyway um how are you doing emma it's been interesting uh to say the least the good news is though is that i am about nine shots away give or take from finishing my senior thesis which is the the animated short that i've been working on directing producing animating doing everything doing practically everything yeah i'm i'm pretty much a one uh, a one-man band this A, a one wolf band Yes, yes, I am a one wolf band. I'm a, I'm a single wolf wolf pack. <laughs> and Peaches Canyon, you have a bunch of other Peaches helping you out. Yes, of course, can't can't forget about that. So thank you to me, myself, and I. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a composer, though, who is hopefully going to help me uh, produce a theme for this short. Uh, I don't want to go into too many specifics about it, because I, I have a feeling... I have a feeling that we're going to be discussing it probably sometime soon. Um, or, you know, considering the fact that, once again, my graduation is coming up in literally about a month. And it's it, it's blowing my mind, to say the least. But, yeah, I mean, for the most part, things have been okay. You know, little setbacks here and there. But overall, my film is going pretty swimmingly. And, uh... I'm thankful that I'm pretty much on schedule and that all I really need to do now is, you know, wrap up the last of the animation that I haven't finished. Uh, All I have to do is, you know, wait for my composer to get back to me and then finish the shots that I haven't animated yet. And then I I have a finished film, which is great. So I don't have to worry about that anymore. (laughs) Uh, You know, at least in a in another couple of weeks, I won't have to. I also told myself that I'd be really nice to myself the evening I finish my film. I am planning on getting Shake Shack that night. And I nice. want you, Adrian, I want you to personally hold me to that. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. I want you to DM me. I will DM you when I'm done with the thing, when the thing is rendering. I will DM you on Discord and tell you, like, hey, you know, I finished my film, and then I want you to say, nice, go celebrate, go get Shake Shack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you really deserve it after all the effort you've been putting into this film, so I, I can't wait to see it. I, I'm i sure the whole school can't wait to see it, or well, your, at least your class uh, can't wait to see it anyway, so. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. funny. It's like, um, the... Senior animation showcase in particular is kind of like the highlight of our our school's animation department. I 
don't know if it's going to be streaming because in the past, I mean, last year, it, what, it didn't, uh, considering the fact that it was all held in person. But um, most of us have YouTube channels, and if it is streaming, it'll probably be up on our school's animation paid, you know, YouTube channel, or possibly on uartsanimation.com. At the very least, all of our individual films may be posted there. But, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know yet. There, the festival date, time, all that stuff is still kind of up in the air. But we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. Yes. <laughs> so, anyway, enough about me. How have things been on your end, Adrian? Well, uh, over at Universal Orlando, I went through uh, some additional training uh, the past, in the past week. Uh, did some stocking on Wednesday evening. Thursday, I was uh, technically I was supposed to be handling the cashier, but I was just doing food running for most of the day anyway. Uh, Friday, I was I was at the back of the house, so in the kitchen, prepping some food, and even got to top some pizzas and ah. and, cut, and cut them. And then Saturday was kind of really it was a little bit hectic for me because I was actually. I was at the popcorn cart right across from where I, where I work, where I usually work, and I was being trained over there to handle, you know, cashier stuff and and getting the snacks to the guests. And then I was pulled over uh, by my supervisor, who asked me to uh, handle some food running during the afternoon portion of my day because she had a hunch it was going to get really busy that day. And she was right. It got really hectic. We had a lot of people come in, come into Cafe Four, which is where I work, and it was kind of really a little bit chaotic. I got a little bit overwhelmed, and at one point, I told you know one of my one of my coworkers, I really I feel like I need to decompress for a little bit. But uh, I went, I got through it okay. That's the good part about it. I got through it okay, and then we closed down the restaurant for what we call the Marvel character dining experience. And I'll tell you about that when we get to that point. But not not today, but when we get to that point in time when I can discuss about it. But I, So I did that, and then I went back over to the popcorn cart, finished out my day over there, uh, got to do some cashier stuff again. And uh, yeah, went as smoothly as it could be. And uh, Saturday was my birthday. Yay, I remember. I remember it was your birthday. So happy birthday. I hope you had a, I hope you had a fun one, a good one. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I spent the rest of my day uh, at the parks at Universal. Uh, I got to see my first uh, Universal Mardi Gras parade. So there is that. Uh, I got hey. to I got to go on Revenge of the Mummy before that. And then I went on, well, before I went on Hollywood Whipright Rocket, uh, I ate over at uh, Mel's Dine-In. They have like, it's like a classic American diner of sorts where they serve burgers and uh, milkshakes. So I helped myself to that. Ooh. And course, yes. And then I went on, uh, and of course I went on Hollywood Rip Ride Rocket. And then I went over, went outside the park uh, as was closing for the evening. Got me some, I got myself a Revenge of the Mummy t-shirt. Then I, Help myself to some Starbucks as well because I thought, well, I might as well end the day with some breakfast. So, so there I went, had myself a mango, uh, dragon fruit lemonade, uh, uh, drink, and and a 
and a double smoked bacon egg and cheese sandwich. Yum. And and that was pretty much about it. Then I went home via via Lyft, and then pretty much after I got home, um, my dad got me a new office chair. So I went to, so I went about putting it together like around one o'clock in the morning. Got it finished by around two o'clock, and it was up and running um, later that day. So that's this is where I'm sitting right now. The previous chair that I had was um, it was like a studio kind of a stool, but but because of my weight, it kind of really I kind of broke it. So oh, I had no. to throw that. So we kind of had to throw that one away. So so I'm glad I'm in more. I'm glad I'm in a more comfortable chair now. And hey, there you go. Yes, that's and good. Uh, like, just keep uh, focus focus on the on the positives. You got a brand new comfy chair out of the. <laughs> Yes, and I got to enjoy myself uh, after work on Saturday. So there was that. I wish I could have gone to that um, Orlando City SC soccer match uh, against Nashville SC. I know, I know they lost against uh, Nashville. Uh, what was that? That was uh, one of the typical Philadelphia motorcycle people. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's been miserably loud here <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, the city the city is quiet for no one, and yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad I live in the suburbs. Yeah, be lucky. I was uh, as I was saying, I I wish I could have gone to that Atlanta City soccer game, but uh, but obviously work kind of worked against that, so I decided just to spend the day, spend the rest of my evening at the parks anyway. I know they lost against Nashville SC two to nothing, so that was not really good. But I, but at the very least, I wish I could have enjoyed myself at that soccer game anyway. Hi, I mean, once again, you were you were there in spirit, and you still had a good time and a good day anyway. So yeah, I'm and sure. I was wearing my Orlando City shirt uh, uh, on that day as well. So there you so go. There, you go. there yeah. you go. You once again, as I said, you were there in spirit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really happy you had a good birthday. That's yeah. there's there's nothing better than having a genuinely good fun birthday, even if you did have to work. In addition to that, um, mm -hmm. my supervisor offered me to uh, go home early, but I told her no. I'm gonna st I'm just gonna stick it out, stay until six o'clock that evening, and just get my hours in. That's how committed I felt I needed to be to to this job. Yeah. Anyway, I'm still glad you were able to get in some fun, even with, uh, even with the stress of working. I'm happy. I'm happy. Like I said, I'm happy you had a good birthday. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, I appreciate the, the, uh, well wish that you, that you, uh, sent me. I know the future's looking a little bit bright, uh, with regards to my own creative endeavors and I'll be able to get to that, uh, in a, in a little bit sometime down the road. But anyway, we've got a we've got a nice show for you today on a Wednesday. You are going to be talking about uh your trip to last year's uh OIAF, the Ottawa International Animation Festival. And oh. I understand yes, and I understand you saw uh a feature film and a short film over there. Yeah, I mean I saw a lot of short films. Uh and most of the festival was pretty much um just me sitting in screenings and you know watching films and just you know being exposed to in more independent creators. 
which is, it was fantastic. Um, that and I went to a couple of picnics and a party and a whole bunch of other different stuff. It's overall, it's a really fun time. And I feel like, you know, anybody who's like looking into breaking into the industry, I feel like especially should be should attend something like this even if it's not this specific festival at least once um because if anything you know a you're gonna have a good time and then b of course is also a really good way of networking and meeting people who have established themselves and are working at studios and are looking for uh new fresh talent to you know contribute to the work that they put out there both indie studios as well as you know big giant well-known studios like the picnic i went to was hosted by cartoon network uh and i met a lot of people from redefine and a whole bunch of other different studios while up there so i mean overall great 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 experience once again if anything it's it's just a fun time where you just you know watch movies and shorts and enjoy yourself and go to talks it's like a giant convention in some ways it's professional but it's also really fun but once again you know i digress about that yeah two of the films that we're going to be talking about i feel like were the most notable uh like you said one feature film and one short film the short film is called ice merchants and the feature is called unicorn wars and i will of course you know talk about both of them in a little while but both of them I feel like really stood out to me specifically because of style, subject, and just general approach uh, and technique. But I mean, if anything, I will, I will let you know in advance, Unicorn Wars was, I wouldn't say it wasn't what I was expecting because I was expecting what it was, but it was like, it was something that I felt very underprepared for. <laughs> And we'll get to the reason why uh, later. But yeah, overall, I feel like, you know, it, it, it's, it's really interesting how these two particular things, like, really stood out to me and really stuck with me. Um, I, pro I, I kept, you know, my program, actually, I believe. Um, it's, it's somewhere in my dresser uh, from that event. And I have my badge and, you know, all the other stuff that, you know, came with the, you know, the member experience when my, my school went up there uh, back nice. in September. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it basically, um, a little bit of a digression here, I suppose. But, yeah, this is something that my university does pretty much every year. I mean, for the past two years. So, you know, back in 2020 and 2021, the festival was being held virtually uh so of course you know we couldn't go but um yeah at the same time though it came back in person last year and um we i was i'm thankful that i was able to live out that tradition that specifically um uh, my department heads were really hyping up about i mean it's funny it's like every single time when you you get like a new animation student orientation situation going on the department heads and you know just really notable professors will often talk about ottawa and try to get you really excited about this is a trip that you know we take 
to this place and we, you know, do all these really cool and fun things and, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful overall that I got an opportunity to experience that before I graduated, you know, especially, yeah. especially since, like I said, the past two years were online and I wasn't completely in the loop about it freshman year and just didn't have the time and money to do it. So, you know, that being said, getting to experience it my senior year, I feel like was undeniably a blessing and if I could go back I hope one day I will be able to but yeah if I could go back then I would go back and I highly recommend anybody who's you know breaking into the industry to attend either this festival or something like it that's you know as long as it's you know a festival and it's close to you you know ultimately whether or not you submit something, at the very least, you know, you can meet other animators and meet other creators who make the kinds of stuff that you want to make there. So, like I said before, great networking opportunity, just a great opportunity in general. But, yeah, overall, very, very thankful that I was able to go. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about my experience and specifically about how... Uh, Ice Merchants and Unicorn Wars impacted me and still impact me months after I've returned back to the city of brotherly love to finish up my senior year. All right, and we're going to get to that discussion in just a moment here. Plus, we're going to be talking about the Owl House as well as uh, they're going to be gearing up for their series finale uh, this Saturday evening on Disney Channel. So I can't wait to get to that. In the meantime, though, let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll begin our we'll begin your reminiscing of the Ottawa International Animation Festival in just a moment. We'll be right back. Alongside Emma Settles, I'm Adrian Mata, and we are back with the Zachary and Peaches show. Last year, uh, you attended the Ottawa International Animation Festival uh, with your animation department at the University of the Arts. Uh, so, would you mind telling me a little bit about, you know, your experience and all that? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, as I said before the break, the festival in and of itself was an incredible experience. I, it was mostly screenings, but there were other opportunities to, you know, there were plenty of mixers where you just got to meet people, there were parties, there were uh, picnics and opportunities to get lunch with people, there, there was downtime, obviously, and, you know, you could just go ahead and explore the city and, you know, and enjoy being in Ottawa. I mean, this was also my first time being out of the country. So that being said, I feel like, you know, this trip was double special to me, considering the fact that, I mean, I've, I've always wanted to go to Canada specifically because of, like, you know, all of the animation, the, the very thriving animation, like, life that and is, like, up there. This, the industry up there is, is fantastic, and I wanted to, you know, get more of an insight into what it's like to work in the industry and specifically in the Canadian industry since a lot of the studios that I'm actually looking at are can Canadian based. I mean, ultimately, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll just say it bluntly, you know, my, my dream would be to work at Clay, uh, the studio that we talked about um, 
what we actually talked about last uh, last last time with the with the Don't Starve uh, animations. They're the company that you know made that game and Oxygen Not Included and a, and a bunch of other really cool stuff. I'd love to work at I'd love to work at that studio specifically. You know, as a character designer or a storyboard artist or you know an animator or whatever the case is for those shorts and for any other just general promotional stuff. Because uh, I do a lot of promo illustration, too. But, you know, I digress with all that. Um, overall, I feel like, you know, attending the festival, it was a nice little way to, you know, dip my feet in to the industry up there and actually get to meet some people. So now I have contacts at a couple of other studios, and maybe I'll never hear back from them. Who knows? But at the very least, I've got business cards you know, and you know, and I've got the memories, and I've got the fact that I, I that people saw my work up there, and they saw what I could do, and they appreciated what I did. So in that case, it just gives me, you know, some level of hope that you know ultimately there is a place for me in this industry one day. As you said, the future is looking bright, and I'm genuinely excited to see where it's going to lead me. But you know, from there, I digress back to the festival. Yeah, panels, picnics, screenings, parties, you know, you name it. it. It's overall a really great time and overall just a fantastic celebration of animation as a medium. And I'm thankful we have stuff like this because, you know, there's there's film festivals and there's like animation categories, but, you know, all things considered, you know, back to the whole Oscars discussion here. Um, very briefly, but sometimes I wonder whether or not people take animation seriously or not. And the fact that, you know, I got to see the work of so many independent animators and so many people who have, you know, later been nominated for Oscars or Tacoma Oscars who made debuts at this festival, at the very least Canadian or North American debuts at this festival. It just shows that, you know, there are people who take this seriously, and there are people who appreciate what we do. And overall, we're just a tight-knit community, and that makes me feel a lot more comfortable about, you know, meeting other animators and, you know, going and applying for jobs and, and that kind of stuff. And it's all because of, you know, now that I have these connections from OIAF. But, yeah, I, I honestly just can't recommend going to festivals enough for young animators, filmmakers, all that stuff. Um, but now to, I suppose, like, the nitty-gritty of it all. Um, I think what I'm going to wind up doing is I'm probably going to wind up starting with Ice Merchants and then working my way to Unicorn Wars, since Ice Merchants is a short. And not that there isn't a lot to talk about with it, because it's, it's a, it's a beautiful short. It's got a nice color palette to it, too. Like Oh, the, yeah. Like yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, it's, it's funny. It's like, normally when you think of animation, like, you know, if the stereotypical view is, you know, very bright and colorful and you know there's all these wild palettes and you know all that kind of stuff but you know this uses a minimal palette to its advantage but you know i'll get into that later overall this short i feel like i believe this short was was nominated this year for an oscar i don't remember what i don't think it won that would be the boy the fox the I don't remember the full title, but it was the yeah, the boy, the fox, the the, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. There we go. That's the one that won, I, and I, I yeah, could yeah. see why. I actually I didn't see that at Ottawa, but I did get to see it 
um, relatively recently because one of my classes actually screened it before uh, we got started. And that was a beautiful short. And it, it almost made me cry multiple times. Um, so yeah, very pleased that that one won. But yeah, back to Ice Merchants. So for those of you who haven't heard of this short, um, overall, it is basically, it's completely silent. There's no dialogue at all uh, in this short. And it also uses, as Adrian said, a very limited color palette, which is, it primarily consists of like golds, reds, blues, and a little bit of browns, um, and a lot of use of texture as well. But the story follows this father and son duo who live on like this mountain and their house is like perched high on this cliff. And every day they freeze water in their storage container outside and they open it up, they chip out some ice and then they parachute down to the village beneath them and they sell ice. And the father uses part of his earnings to buy hats every day for both him and his son. Because every day during the fall from the cliff to the town, they lose their hats. And there's a significance with that later on. But eventually, during the short, you know, as, you know, in typical storytelling fashion, things go awry. Uh, the temperatures are too high one day and, you know, they can't sell ice. And then there's another day where you know, the big climax of the film is that the father and son have to escape an avalanche that is about to destroy their home. And while they're escaping, they actually land on this giant pile of hats, which is revealed to be all of the hats that they lost. Um over the course of the the entire timeline, both of the story as well as, you know, pre-off-screen pre kind of stuff. But in addition to that, one of the main themes of this short that I feel like was really particularly poignant was that they touched base on the theme of loss a lot, specifically sort of implying that the father and the son lost their respective wife and mother, and now it's just them and they're continuing her legacy and their legacy initially of, like, you know, selling ice to this town. And during the scene where the family is escaping from the avalanche, well, before the avalanche, actually, uh, you get flashbacks a little bit about, you know, the father being really pensive and thinking about his wife and, you know, what she would have done in specific scenarios. And then during the avalanche scene when they've evacuated and they don't know where they're going, they're just kind of plummeting, you know, taking a leap of faith, literally, and they land on this pile of hats. The pile actually has some, has, um, well, the father and the son have correlating, like, colors. And then the mother who shows up during that scene as sort of like a guardian angel type figure in some ways, um, you know, the father and son are thinking about her as they're plummeting. They, they don't know whether or not they, you know, would have lived uh, from this situation. You know, that being said, they land on this pile of hats, and the hats start out as being, I believe, red and brown, 
which are the colors associated with the father and the mother. And then eventually it's red, brown, and gold. And then eventually just red and gold. And then they land uh, in that pile and land safely. I feel like I'm missing out a lot of details since it's, it, I've, I watched it recently. Uh, <laughs> but even still, it's, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of the detail is definitely slipping my mind. I mean, in general, I feel like, you know, please check this short out as, as, as soon as you possibly can. If anything, it's, it's beautiful. And the sound design overall, the texture, the color, it's just, it's, it's an astounding short. But the fact that they only really show glimpses of the mother and, and you know, show her like little, it, it, what I feel like is really poignant is that it shows that the people who we've lost, even though they're not physically here with us, are still present with us and still remain as a part of us long after they've passed. Yeah, it's it's implied with the gradation of the hats that the son, at least at one point, was he was probably old enough to know who his mother was and old enough to, you know, get to spend time with her uh, in addition to his dad before ultimately she passes somehow. But, you know, that being said, even though she's not physically present, she is still very much a part of their lives. And that basically, you know, by taking this leap of faith and by, you know, relying on their love of each other and their love of her, they're able to make it and they're able to land in this safe place and hopefully, you know, start anew again after the avalanche. But yeah, overall, once again, it's a short, so I didn't anticipate taking a whole bunch of time talking about it, but Ice Merchants, go check it out. It's a lovely film. I don't know whether or not it's streaming anywhere, but you probably could find it on YouTube. It uh, is on YouTube. Yes, yeah, look it up, up on YouTube. It's probably also on like Vimeo as well. Um, I know the New Yorker. They have a they have uploaded uploaded the short onto their YouTube channel. So uh, so that one might be the that might be where you can check that out. Awesome. In that case, do what Adrian said. Go check out the New Yorker's YouTube page and go watch the short. Uh, hopefully, you can probably catch some stuff that I missed or or glossed over, or whatever the case is. You being the audience, <laughs> uh, this is my call to action. Go watch this beautiful short. Uh, <laughs> Plus, if anything, I mean, I'm also, you know, going a little bit all over the place here, but before I, I get into, like, the Unicorn Wars discussion, I don't really think short films as, you know, as people who talk about animation, short films aren't really given as much prominence and as much credit as feature films are, especially since short films are mostly produced by indie creators as opposed to, you know, the big studios that people, you know, all associate with animation, you know, like the Disneys and the DreamWorks and the Leicas and the Illuminations and all that stuff of the industry. Uh, and it's unfortunate. And, I mean, in general, I, f I feel like, you know, with this specific discussion, as well as with our previous, you know, everything else bit, to a degree, even though we were talking about a popular video game, we were also, you know, still ultimately discussing indie animation and short animation. And I feel like overall, um, I hope that as we continue this podcast, that we give short films their due and that we're able to give 
these creators credit for something that they poured their heart and soul into, and it paid off beautifully. But yeah, I digress. Beautiful short. Please check it out. Unicorn Wars time. <laughs> mm-hmm. As I said before in our intro bit, this film, I, I it's funny, I, I believe it was recently released to the public sometime soon. Otherwise, I wouldn't, you know, be seeing an art for it almost every single day on my DeviantArt dash. Um, just, you know, on my Explorer page, like, oh, look at this. It's Unicorn Wars fan art. I mean, like, oh, yeah, I, I saw that movie. <laughs> uh, at Ottawa, when I think it made its, I think it was its Canadian debut, which is really cool. But as I said during the intro, I kind of knew what to expect with this film, but I still in some ways didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into the second I sat down at Bytown Cinema and, you know, the movie started and one of my friends was sitting right next to me uh, and, and watching with me. But in short, this film... I will tell you right now, I enjoyed it, but I, it's one of those movies that I don't think I ever really want to see more than once or twice. <laughs> I mean, you did tell me it was uh, quite gory, and I kind of and I said to you, it's kind of like Saving Private Ryan, but with bears and unicorns. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. The preface before all of the screenings they had you know festival runners come up and give little synopsises of the film but yeah the the guy who was introducing this movie to everyone who was you know piled the the bytown cinema which was the cinema that we saw this movie in was pretty packed there were i think only a handful of seats that were open during that screening, which is insane, because, I mean, all the other screenings were being held in, like, auditorium buildings and even at Bytown or other cinemas, and there was still space. This was one of the films that attracted a huge crowd, and I can absolutely see why, because, as you said, you know, like, it's like the whole Saving Private Ryan, but with unicorns and teddy bears. Yeah, this... Film is definitely an R-rated movie. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind that if it's not, if it isn't rated R already, then it would be getting an R rating. Yeah, and that is something that is, it's, it's something you definitely don't see every day. Once again, you know, going back to like the whole stereotypical view of animation, but, you know, animation it has always been seen as the family, quote-unquote, medium. Especially 2D animation. And ultimately, we got an R-rated 2D animated film that was definitely not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's what kind of drew me to it was the fact that, you know, we see adult, quote-unquote, animation in television, but most of that kind of stuff is geared more towards you know, the, the, the sitcom sort of format. So getting to see a movie like this, I think, is a pretty big game changer for the industry. And I think it's, it's if anything, it should really serve as a wake-up call to the people who, you know, doubt the legitimacy of animation and doubt the fact that, you know, serious animated films can be made, even with a subject as, you know, quote-unquote juvenile as unicorns and teddy bears. But yeah, overall... The story itself, 
once again, for those of you who have not heard of this film, uh, I'll try to keep this as brief, as brief as possible, as well as reference my my guide, actually, brief aside here. But yes, I found my guide during my break. I was just, you know, rummaging through my drawers really briefly, and I found it. Uh, and I was able to find the, art, the article that they had on Unicorn Wars. And, you know, basically, this film, it's a co-production between Spain and France. Um, it showed, I believe, four times, four or five times during the festival. And I think I went to, like, the Saturday night showing, Friday or Saturday night showcase or something like that. But it is basically about these two warring factions, teddy bears and unicorns, who are fighting over control over this forest. And the teddy bear army is pretty dead set on eliminating the unicorn population from this forest in order to assume complete control and ultimately declare, you know, that they are the superior creature uh, in this universe. And the story follows along two brothers who were recently recruited into the teddy bear army, uh, Azaline and Gordy. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna call them that because their English names are Bluey <laughs> and Tubby, but Bluey, um, <laughs> Bluey is a wholesome, uh, blue healer dog and not a homicidal bear, as you told me earlier. <laughs> Yeah, you can honestly, um, yeah, you can, you can imagine my shock the second I heard that, uh, Azuline's, uh, English name essentially is Bluey. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like, you know, I will call them by their Spanish names because A, it's more accurate, and B, <laughs> yeah, name association. <laughs> even heard of bluey like the the tv show i i assume so i don't know i mean i i didn't meet people who were you know made these films they you know just most of the filmmakers the short filmmakers at least were present uh during the screenings but i if they were if the unicorn wars team was there uh at the festival that i attended this one screening where I don't think they did give a spiel about it afterwards. So I wouldn't have been able to ask that question anyway. But yeah, we're, we're getting a bit into the weeds here. As I said, considering the fact that this is, I mean, even though it has a lot of, you know, fantastical elements and it has a lot of like, you know, magical elements and, you know, really bright, colorful characters and and you know a very a bit, uh, for the most part a very charming art style minus all of the the gore and death and violence um <laughs> but yeah overall as the magazine that i was given by the festival said don't be fooled by the cartoony visuals and charming characters this film is basically based on the director's short film called unicorn blood and basically the the theme of this whole film is basically talking about just how in some i, I don't necessarily know if nonsensical is the right word for it but basically, 
the fact that war is never really warranted and the reality of it is just the fact that it just causes needless violence and death. The one thing that I find particularly notable about this film is that, you know, norm- once again, normally when you think of the stereotypical form of animation, even when you think of adult animation, things usually work out to some degree in the end. Maybe there's a slightly bleak ending, but there's always a little glimmer of hope. In this film, it pretty much, it starts out kind of hopeful, to a degree, I I guess. Hopeful, I think, is, you know, once again, probably not the right word for it, but, you know, before we know exactly what's going on on, like, the unicorn side of things, as well as, you know, the fact that these teddy bear characters are being brainwashed into basically committing genocide of a whole species. Basically, the war, the unicorn war, ends with none of the main characters that we see, both Teddy Bear and Unicorn, living at the end of the film. Like, there's... I don't think I've ever seen a movie, especially not an animated movie, where not a single one of the main characters that drive the story, or, I mean, any of the characters at all, really, survive. It's only vaguely implied that the that some of the higher-ups of the unicorn are not the unicorn but the the teddy bear army survived because they weren't directly involved in the combat but everybody dies yes this the long and short of it is that every single character winds up dead (laughs) by the end of this film and ultimately i feel like this movie wouldn't have worked to a degree if it didn't have that ending if once again considering these themes and considering the fact that it's making a comment on the fact that violence and the fact that war violence the fact that people are told that the scary reality that people are told that you know oh we are the superior whatever and everyone else who disagrees with us needs to be eliminated. Overall, it really shows the fact that these ideologies are incredibly harmful, number one, but also the fact that they're just going to overall lead to the countless amounts of death, despair, and destruction, period. Like, there, and there's no, you have unicorns who are being slaughtered for no reason, just because that they live a little bit differently than these teddy bears did. And then you have the teddy bears who are being completely and utterly brainwashed by this militaristic regime, forcing them to believe that their existence is the only correct way to live and that everything else, you know, everyone else who lives differently is wrong and therefore needs to die. So, yeah, that being said, I feel like if the film even ended with one character still living, I don't think the message would have really come across as strong. But yeah, I mean, it it just goes to show you that violence is pointless and unwarranted and that, you know, hatred of the quote-unquote other is wrong and it shouldn't be justified in any way because it's only going to lead to not only the mass murder of the people you deem as being wrong, quote-unquote, but also of, you know, 
it'll lead further into your own destruction, whether that leads you to your mind being clouded and corrupted by hate, or to ultimately you dying for an ideology that poisoned you. And even in the midst of this con this whole conflict between these two species, uh, at the same time, the film also focuses on the fact that these two brothers often sort of heads as well. It's as much of a family story, not a story for families, obviously, but a story about a family, as it is a story about these two warring factions. In addition to, you know, all of this turmoil that's going on in this world between unicorns and teddy bears, there's also these points of flashback where we get to see who Azuline and Gordy are as characters. And growing up, Azuline and Gordy were, they pretty much, like, focused on one parent liked one child basically and the other or focused more on one child and the other parent focused on the other and Azuline I believe was a very much the the father the daddy's boy and Gordy was very much the, the mama's boy and they had their relationships and unfortunately it was revealed that later on for some reason or another Azuline's father and mother and mother wanted to get a divorce and that affected Azuline so much that even as a young child, you slowly see him start to become resentful of his brother and of his mother in particular, to the point where he actually kills her, puts poison in her tea, and she dies. Basically just to get back at Gordy and to get back at her for wanting to divorce his, his father, which that whole scene like just blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, now I see why these two brothers who, you know, even though they're fighting quote unquote on the same side, even though eventually Gordy thankfully sees the truth about unicorns and starts to, you know, break away from the harmful teddy bear ideology and, you know, starts trying to protect the unicorns from there was there was still like an internal strife of some sort between the brothers i didn't mean to interrupt you but uh oh no that's, yeah. that's precisely what it is ultimately is it's that there's still there's this external conflict and then there's this internal conflict the external conflict is all of the chaos and war that's surrounding them and then the internal conflict is the conflict between the two brothers and that is highly apparent throughout the entire story because even though they start out i wouldn't say close but they're a bit closer at least they're united you know under the teddy bear army and you know they're doing all these tra this training together and all that kind of stuff but the fact that we get to see this strife between these two brothers at such a young age and then get to see it play out again when they're adults it blows my mind Especially because eventually, you know, they, they also get separated from each other. And Azuline eventually gets severely injured to the point where he basically loses, like, half of his face. And he has to wear, like, this mask, which makes him an even more sinister-looking character at that. But eventually, you know, they're fighting for the opposite sides of the plane. They're put up against each other 
Again, Azuline basically becoming a decorated war hero at quote unquote for the teddy bears after um, becoming severely injured. And then eventually, you know, he's given this place where he's, you know, commanding armies and winning battles and, you know, proving himself to be the, you know, the better brother, the brother that, you know, no one, you know, no one expected to do well. Not even my father could really see me, you know, amounting to anything. And, you know, now I'm, now I'm, you know, big and mighty. Look at me. I'm commanding armies and, and all that kind of stuff. And then Gordy eventually, you know, slipping away and, and meet, actually meeting unicorns and actually, you know, starting to try to fight for them. And by the end of the film, it eventually leads to a standoff between them both. And basically they both kill each other from there. I believe Azuline kills Gordy first, but then Azuline is killed shortly after, either because, you know, I don't exactly remember what exactly happened here. Could have been a unicorn that killed him for all I remember, unfortunately. I don't remember exactly what happened, but basically... I'm just, I'm just looking up the Wikipedia article for this. Uh, he killed both Gordy and Maria, and then he drank uh, the unicorn's blood to fulfill whatever prophecy was uh, foretold uh, earlier in the film. Right, right, I remember. Exactly, he he did, but he still wound up dying from that. I think it was basically like, there was a slight cameo with unicorn blood. I mean, of course, the short that this film is based off of, you know, being titled unicorn blood and all. So, you know, the, the blood of this creature does definitely have a sort of significance besides the fact that, you know, the teddy bears see that it needs to be spilled in order to fulfill whatever higher prophecy that they were promised. But, yeah, ultimately drinking the unicorn blood does eventually lead towards his own demise, if, if you really want to call it that. I believe he, like, transforms into some, like, monster demon thing that... Uh, it's implied that it, like, you know, evolves into humanity in the future, which is an interesting concept. You know, that being said, it just leads to needless death, destruction, and furthering the conflict between these two brothers. Overall, um, <laughs> once again, it's a wild ride, and it's definitely a film that's not for the faint of heart, but I feel like it's also one of these films that it has an incredibly powerful, important, and relevant message today. And, you know, if you can stomach it, uh, I would definitely recommend it. But once again, I personally don't think I will ever be able to watch it more than more than maybe one more time i'll maybe i'll give it another you know another go because I, I would like to revisit it just because of the fact that you know the visuals were incredible to store and as i said the story is incredibly powerful and important but at the same time yeah it's it's very disturbing <laughs> to put it mm. lightly <laughs> but yeah overall i mean i saw a lot of different films while at this festival, Unicorn Wars was the only feature that I got to see. Um, because the other features that were screening there were being shown at times that either conflicted with screenings for, you know, shorts that I wanted to attend, or, you know, they had a little job fair at the festival, and they had people, you know, talking with people at studios and, and the like. Uh, and I wanted to go to that, and obviously, and I wanted to meet some more people, and 
I wanted to go to a couple of their, their little parties and things like that that they hosted. So yeah, that being said, unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch any of the other features. And I feel like I would love to talk about more of the shorts that I saw, especially since, you know, looking back at the magazine, I remembered, oh yeah, I remember what that short is about. That short was great. But considering the fact that Ice Merchants was also nominated for an Oscar, I feel like it was, it was pretty topical to, you know, bring it up. As well as it also, to some degree, ties in with the whole themes of loss and family strife, even though they're two totally different stories with two totally different outcomes. Uh, Ice Merchants being much, much more hopeful in tone than Unicorn Wars. But overall, yeah, I think, you know, back back to what I keep saying here, but even though I, w I, I wish I could, you know, talk more about some of the other stuff that I viewed, at the same token, I feel like these two films, this short and this feature, were the most important things that I saw, and the most, you know, the, the most poignant things that I saw there that I really hope I can use in some way or another as both influences for my own work as well as just been able to get an appreciation for different types of storytelling that I haven't considered in the past. I think overall, you know, once as I keep saying and you know with all of these discussions, you know, like props to everyone involved um, with Unicorn Wars, with Ice Merchants, and with every single feature and short that was shown at OIAF, and the people who just, you know, made the festival run as smoothly as it did. Um, I'm just overall thankful that we were able to have it again in person, and that I was able to attend before I graduated, because it's just going to the festival, it, yeah, I think it had such a lasting impact on me. And I'm, again, thankful to everyone involved, including uh, everyone at my university who organized this trip to begin with. So yeah, that was pretty much my experience at the Ottawa International Animation Festival. And I sincerely hope that one day I will be able to return and I will be able to see more amazing shorts and features and that I can continue to do reviews on these types of these types of, of work. Yeah, certainly worth the uh, worth the experience, especially if you're into animation and not not just you know with the major studios and whatnot, but also the smaller studios and of course the independents that are you know grinding at it and just putting out quality animated pieces that uh, that the public can enjoy. I do kind of want to touch on uh, one thing here. I wanted to circle back to Unicorn Wars. You said that the film kind of really touches on on you know this this war this ideological war something about like something that you know leads to like needless destruction and deaths and whatnot it's been like i'm i kind of don't want to go deep into this but i but i but but my heart is just wanting to go there it's been like one year since uh russia invaded ukraine and uh and of course, it's brought along, you know, needless deaths and destruction to, to uh, parts of Ukraine. It's just so relevant considering the themes that Unicorn Wars touches on. So, how does it? Uh, you don't have to answer this, and we can cut this out if you if you want to. But how does this kind of correlate 
to what's going on in the real world with regards to what's been going on in Russia and in Ukraine. I mean, in general, like as I said, this this film is incredibly topical and it, it definitely just shows how war not only causes death and destruction, but it also slowly poisons the minds of the youth especially because Gordy and Azuline are probably no no older than their early to mid-20s. And that being said, there is this ideology that's being placed on the aggressors of pretty much any war, uh, you know, specifically focusing on the Russia and Ukraine conflict, but, you know, specifically on, like, the minds of young Russian people, people who haven't completely clued in on the fact that they're being fed propaganda and that what they're doing isn't right and that the territory that they're invading isn't rightfully theirs. So, yeah, that being said, it's incredibly... This film is incredibly relevant because it really speaks to the fact that war is harmful on every front and that it's something that slowly but surely kills you whether or not it's physical death or basically the death of your compassion, your humanity, your innocence, your whatever. It's overall it's it it just shows that it's incredibly futile, worthless and harmful. Yeah, and uh certainly is and I just I just hope for the best for the people in Ukraine, hope for the best of the people in uh, Russia who do not want to be associated with this kind of war. And fingers crossed, you know, everything will, you know, come to a somewhat peaceful conclusion and, and you know, everything can go back to a sense of normalcy. Not necessarily the normal before before Russia invaded Ukraine, but a, but a sense of normalcy that a lot of peace and a lot of, uh, you know, whatever, whatever kind of normalcy can bring. But I just hope, for, but I'm just hoping for the best for, for the Ukrainian people anyway. Of course, may, may peace, be, may, may peace come upon them swiftly. I, I sincerely hope, as you said, the best for them. I, and I sincerely encourage them to just, you know, keep keep fighting the good fight, both literally as well as, you know, emotionally, and understand the fact that we are with you, we see you, and that we hope that you eventually won't have to deal with this immense pain that you've been put through for this year that you've experienced yeah and uh, you and i we both um we both follow this uh artist on demidord who lives in ukraine and i i've kind of really picked up on some of the struggles that that she had been facing i won't name her exactly by username just you know for privacy's sake but but i kind of really have a bit of an understanding on you know what's been going on over there and you know how she's been you know trying to cope with what's been going on yeah, I, I just, I can't imagine what any Ukrainian person is going through right now, but I especially, 
I especially empathize, you know, with her struggle in particular, considering the fact that, you know, of course, that we're, we're friends and uh, we've been following each other for a while. Uh, but I sincerely wish the best for her and wish the best for, as I said, all Ukrainian people and all Ukrainian artists and animators. Yeah. So uh, with that being said, and not to and to further avoid ourselves from dwelling upon, upon this conflict any further, we are going to go ahead and take a break because on the other side of that, we're going to be talking a little bit about the Owl House season finale coming up this Saturday evening on Disney Channel. We'll be right back. back with more of the Zachary and Peaches show and for our everything else bit or for something completely different uh, we have a special occasion coming up and that is that is something to do with a animated show on the Disney Channel and that's called The Owl House. Now they have aired uh, two of the three specials already that they that comprise season three and the third and final special the series finale is going to be coming up on Saturday evening. This Saturday evening, in fact, on, just looking at my calendar here, April the 8th. So to, so to get you up to speed here, going to try and, you know, go about this as uh, shorthandedly as I can here. But anyway, The Owl House is an animated fantasy series created by Dana Terrace for, of course, the Disney Channel. Since its premiere over a little over three years ago, the show has found Luz Noceda, a Dominican-American teenager, in her aspirations to become a witch doing so as an apprentice under the rebellious Edith Clawthorne and alongside Edith's demon housemate, King. So the first season of the show, it sees her sees Luz beginning her adventures in the Boiling Isles after stumbling upon a portal at the door of an abandoned house in her hometown. She was, uh, she was being forced to go to summer camp to kind of really try and normalize herself. Her mother, Camilla, wanted to do that. and But this sets off her quest to fulfill her dreams of becoming a witch. Loses dreams, that is. Along the way, she befriends her new Hexai schoolmates, Gus and Willow, and over time, befriends the top student witch at the school, Amity. The first season culminates in Belos, the emperor of the Boy Isles, seeking to petrify Edith for, if I remember correctly, not conforming to the Isles' coven system and breaking whatever laws she broke along the way. But Luz stops him. She breaks the portal to the human world that Belos also desired. And it's also revealed that Ida was cursed by her sister, Lilith, who had been seeking to find a cure for her Owlbeast curse uh, ever since she put that particular curse on her. Now, in the second season, we have some converging story arcs here. Luz is attempting to return to the human realm. Ida is confronting her curse that she now shares with her sister. And King wants to learn more about his past. All the while, Bellos prepares for this mysterious day of unity. Characters introduced during the season include the Golden Guard, Hunter, a shape-shifting basilisk named V who disguises herself as Luz in the human realm, and Edith's friend and former classmate, Rain, who, by the way, goes by the pronouns they and them. Shouldn't be reminding you of this, but we live in a bit of a bigoted world anyway. But anyway, the second season concludes with this Day of Unity where Emperor Bellows attempts to drain the people of the Boiling Isles of their magic, almost, you know, killing them in the process, but the Collector 
stops him from doing that. The Collector, of course, being freed by King after King realizes the Collector is the only one that can stop Bellows from carrying out this day of unity. And then King pushes Luz and her friends, Gus, Willow, Amity, and Hunter into the human realm for their safety. And then Luz reunites with her mother, Camilla. Now, in the first two specials, in this shortened season three, Luz, Amity, Gus, Willow, and Hunter begin working out this plan to go back to the Bowman Isles. What they don't know is that Bellows has a, a piece of Bellows has mysteriously followed them. Now, at Gravefield's Halloween Festival, Bellows begins to control Hunter and tricks Luz into fighting Titan's blood. And then Luz's friends confront him and they engage in this complete action scene and whatnot. Hunter regains control eventually, but he is seriously injured as a result, and his palisman, Flapjack, in the form of like a red robin, sacrifices itself to save him. And as Bellows reopens the portal back to the Bowling Isles, Camilla joins Luce and her friends. V stays behind to keep up appearances at the Noseda household. And upon arrival at the Bowling Isles, it's discovered that the Collector has turned most of the denizens there into puppets so that he could play with them. The remainder of Hexai students form a new society from, from the remains of their school. And Basha, Amity's former friend, rules over this particular society. And Kikimura, she has a bit of an influence with this with uh, with this society, and she has some sort of affiliation with the Emperor. After losing her friends, convince this new society to to battle Kikimura, they reach Collector's castle to confront the Collector too, and then Luz gains a new palisman in the form of a snake shifter, a snake who who of course shape shifts, string bean, and um. that's pretty much and that's pretty much about. Uh, pretty much about it with regards to what has been going on with with the Our House uh, since then. And now we have, of course, this series finale, and everything's going to you know, be tied up the way it has gone through. So what do you think, Emma? What, what, what are you thinking right now? Oh, man. That, it's... This series, I mean, I don't want to go too, too much into it, because I, I, we're going to be doing a lot of remissing. Uh, in such when we actually get to discussing the final episode and you know breaking it apart and talking about like you know what the series means to us and to so many people uh who have been touched by it but in you know one way shape or form but overall the direction the story is taking is wild and i'm genuinely excited to see how this is going to wrap up i mean given the fact that it's still even though it definitely touches base on a lot of really dark themes it's still very much a disney property so most likely it's going to have at least some semblance of a happy well tied up ending but at the same token given the fact that even though bellos isn't completely defeated yet as well as the fact that the Collector now basically has control over most of the Boiling Isles. It's something that, I, I, in a lot of ways, I don't really know how this is going to end. And that's the thing is that I'm, that I'm really excited about in particular is because I don't know what, how it's going to end. I think, you know, once again, that being said, there's most likely going to be at least some semblance of a happy ending. 
you know, to appease the Disney gods, quote-unquote, you know, if you, <laughs> if you pardon the expression there. But... Dana doesn't really like happy endings, though. True, true. I mean, I'm, once again, I think I'm not entirely certain the direction that this is going to go, and that's what's getting me so excited for it. And, you know, ultimately, I feel like now with basically two villains, one being obviously a lot more sympathetic than the other, uh, because, you know, as it's revealed, the Collector is, you know, pretty much just a kid. And he was being, you know, even though the Titan Trappers from Season 2, you know, worshipped him as as their god, at the same token, they still, they were still very much this character that, basically, you know, you, you know that feeling when you were a kid and, you know, you basically just wanted to have someone understand and basically just have someone to play with? That's precisely what they're going through right now, is just they're experiencing that sort of that sort of want, and yet at the same token, due to the fact that they're basically an elder god, uh, they also have this need for control on top of that. Uh, hopefully we can continue to dive deeper into the Collector's character. I know we got a little bit of really good insight into into the character, uh, during, I believe, the second special, but hopefully a little bit more will be revealed and that, you know, the Collector will be wrapped up in a nice, resolved way and that the series doesn't leave, you know, any random loose ends. Which, personally, between you and me, I have a feeling that they absolutely won't. Especially since Dana is, or was, you know, even more involved with this part of... The, ser- the series than in seasons past. I remember, cr- if I remember correctly, I mean, I remember hearing from Dana's socials. You know, obviously I'm not really on social media <laughs> that much. Pretty much just DA and YouTube and for affinity and all that, you know, art stuff now. You know, that being said, every once in a while I would still, you know, pop on and just, you know, lurk, <laughs> to, to put it bluntly, on you know, Dana's page, and Lee mentioned the fact that even though the series got canned in a pretty unceremonious way, at the same token, I'm thankful that they are giving her the opportunity to wrap up the story that they made. They're not just, you know, saying, okay, we're pulling the plug, goodbye, you know, (laughs) which would have been... Ten times more horrible. I mean, the fact yes. that it's getting canceled, you know, the fact that it it just, it's no longer, it's, it's ending after this episode premieres is incredibly sad. Especially since, you know, hearing from other people involved in the show, you know, we would have had more, we would have had more, more, we would have had more. <laughs> basically we would have got to have seen these characters continue to grow and develop and watch their relationships blossom even more and watch you know the dynamic between Luce and her adopted boiling isles family become stronger and watch the dynamic between Luce and Camilla becomes stronger, and as well as the three top ships, which are all incredibly lovely, incredibly wholesome, and incredibly well done, even considering the fact that the series is being 
cut short. Yet personally, you know, my 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 shipping self uh, <laughs> really, in general, wants wanted to see even more of the adventures and the continuing of the growing and the blossoming of love and care between uh, Ida and Rain, uh, Willow and Hunter, and of course, Luce and Amity. Who and I think I think a lot of fans would agree with you on that because. Uh... You know, it was one of the executives that uh, decided that this show didn't really fit the Disney brand, and therefore that's kind of why we had this shortened season three to begin with. And uh, you know, I just, I just wish there was you know more to say, more adventures to go through. But the way that the crew has handled this, you have to give them, you have to give them praise for for you know handling this the way that they could, despite this uh, shortening that of the season that they had. With the, all, all, all this being condensed to only these three specials, and that's really about it. Of course. I mean, I think, you know, that being said, the show in and of itself is written so beautifully and so immaculately. Like, I, I, I can't really... I mean, of course, the, they're, like any show, there are some episodes that are obviously better than others, and especially in the first season, there were a lot of, like, filler episodes, which is fine, considering the fact that it was the first season. And that's usually how first seasons operate, is that we get all these, quote-unquote, little mini side quests, if you will, adventures of these characters in order to get to know them better. But, you know, that being said, the fact that the show doesn't sacrifice on quality even though its quantity is going down, is something that, like you said, is, it's incredibly stellar, and the people involved, everyone involved, deserves the ultimate praise. Because even though Disney executives said, oh, it doesn't fit the brand, quote-unquote. <laughs> <laughs> I love that voice. Oh, no, you're gonna be, you're gonna, you're gonna hear a lot of sarcastic, you know, goofy voices out of, out of out of touch in fact oh yeah totally i mean you're gonna basically that's just my out of touch old man voice <laughs> uh, old like... man peaches <laughs> old man peaches <laughs> uh yeah yeah i i, I digress with that um it's, at least it's not that bad as that uh that great wall of peaches that um uh, <laughs> you know mr 45 wanted to put up Oh dear! Oh no! <laughs> but anyway, let's get let's just get back to let's just let's just get back on topic. Here. Yes, please. Somebody, yes. <laughs> uh, every time I I hear that the fact that that was nicknamed Peaches, it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I digress here. Uh, the show, <laughs> the Owl House. Um, the fact that. They very much stood their ground and said that, you know, just because these, you know, basically, as you said, out of touch old men are, you know, pulling the plug on us, we are still firming, you know, firmly standing on our own principles and giving ourselves as well, you know, as the fans, the content that we want, that they want to see and that we want to make. And I think overall, I'm just genuinely proud of the series overall. 
because it, it just handles so, so many topics. And it just handles, it just handles everything it does with such grace and with such respect and with such thoughtfulness. And that is ultimately one of the reasons why I'm so drawn, <laughs> pun, inten pun intended, <laughs> to the series. And overall, once again, it's incredibly sad that we're not getting more. But at the same token, I am incredibly thankful for the ride that we've had. And I'm incredibly thankful that the series is continuing to be as poignant and as important as it is by, you know, ultimately, you know, by having everyone involved standing their ground and saying, you know, this is who we are. And if you don't like it, tough. Who cares if we're getting canned? Because we're going to make this the best darn show we possibly could make. And they're absolutely right. I mean, The Owl House is I, I in some ways I don't even want to think about just how big of a show this actually is because it's it, it's mind-boggling this the show the fandom all of it it just it, I mean it, the fandom itself like I said it it, it it transcends the show itself it's incredible and it's going to keep this property alive and well and in the conversation whether or not Disney executives like it or not so ultimately you know Congratulations to an incredible run. Once again, I'm sorry that specifically, you know, this is, I guess this is me, you know, talking to Dana, who, you know, isn't here, obviously, you know, with us. And probably won't even, maybe we'll never even get the chance to hear this, who knows. But Dana, to everyone involved with the Owl House, thank you for making something that was as beautiful and as powerful and as true to itself as you've made. Ultimately, you have hopefully revolutionized the industry, you know, Disney, as well as the industry itself. You know, to tell stories about people whose stories don't often get told. Yeah, it's just, you know, a great run. Short but sweet, but, you know, I'm sure we will have a lot more to say on our next episode of the Zachary and Peaches show, which we'll be focusing on the series finale itself and i cannot wait to get to that i i can't either this is going to be this is going to be a great great conversation believe me i i don't doubt that i am very much looking forward to discussing this finale all right well uh that is it for this week's edition of the zachary and peaches show join us next week for of course our, our discussion on the series finale of the owl house but in the meantime i'm adrian mata and i'm emma settles and we will see you on our usual release date that will be on that will be next Tuesday of uh, next week so we will see you then all right bye this has been the Zachary and Peaches show produced edited and co-hosted by Adrian Mata and co-hosted with Emma Settles the Zachary and Peaches Show is a Zachland original podcast. <laughs>